Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. In a Wall Street Journal op-ed a couple of years ago, businessman R.R. Reno explained that he was no longer going to hire graduates of Ivy League universities. His complaint was that these grads were hypersensitized to alleged actions of co-workers, creating an unproductive workplace. As he wrote, I don't want to hire somebody who makes inflammatory accusations at the drop of a hat. Such an attitude should not be surprising, as critical race theory and its variants that students learn today divide society into oppressors and oppressed. But this is also creating problems in workplaces. Ultimately, commerce and business are forms of social cooperation. And one of the great virtues of commerce has always been allowing people to cooperate despite their differences. Can anything be done to improve our workplaces and help build bridges between diverse individuals? At the Johnson Center, we've started the Free Enterprise Scholars Program to help our students overcome challenges created by what we call wokeness. Joining me on eConversations today is Mr. Chuck Salvo, who has worked in employee relations for many years with Disney, the Disney company, and is now in his own consulting business. Mr. Salvo recently spoke to our Free Enterprise Scholars, and today we'll be talking about some of his work on the front lines helping create uh, happy workers and also uh, helping diverse managers and workers work with each other. We'll also be talking about how happy employees are, can be a key to a successful business and some of the work ethics of, of millennials. Well, welcome to eConversations, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you, you build yourself, your title is like Chief Happiness Architect. So talk a little bit about why happiness is, is so important in, uh, in business. It's Uh, but I, I picked it because uh, as a leader at Disney for over 15 years, our purpose was we create happiness. And that's one part of it. But the architecture is another part of it. You really need to be intentional about how you want to build your culture. And you need to make sure that it's really focused on uh, the employees uh, and what you want their purpose to be. So at Disney, it was we create happiness. But what's your purpose for your organization? So that architecture, being very intentional on how you build your sets of boundaries and how you hire to those sets of boundaries your employees so they match uh, your style and what you, they, you want them to be and what they want your customers to be is important. So happiness has a really strong business reason also. So let's start by this. So I talk about in your work, you've, you, as you explained to our, our free enterprise scholars, you, you've gone in to uh, consult with some businesses that have had some pretty toxic uh, uh, workplaces, that employees that simply aren't getting uh, along with each other. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of these uh, workplaces you've, you've experienced. Yeah, I mean, I've worked for top 
uh, fast food chains, uh, food and beverage world. I've worked for uh, airlines. I've worked for banks. And they all have something in common because you're either, your culture is either by design or by default. And business school really teaches you a lot of great, great stuff, but it doesn't really focus in. You learn mission, you learn vision, but you don't learn of how to build a structure of boundaries that allow employees to thrive in and a culture to be happy in. Mm -hmm. So back at Disney days, you know, it was funny. We'd have clients come to us all the time and say, hey, we want you to make our customers happy like they are at Disney. And we would say, great. First, you need to focus on making your employees happy. And they'd say, oh, no, no, we want to make customers happy. And we say, hey, it's connected. And there's a business reason behind connecting that. So as we go into these more toxic work environments that's really focused on metrics, how many hamburgers or how many uh, transactions or how many pharmaceuticals you're getting out in a pharmacy, it, it, instead of focusing on the metrics, focus on what you want the interaction between the employee and the client to be. The mm -hmm. metrics are still important, don't get me wrong, but first making sure you have a structure where the culture is happy really brings happiness to not only the organization but to the employees and then also to the bottom line for profit. So, uh, so tell us a little bit because you shared with us some of the uh, exercises you, you do. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you go go in and, and like actually get uh, employees who are quite hostile to each other to actually start to open up and, and talk to each other and recognize their their common humanity their 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 common uh, 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 personalities. That's a great question, Dan. I, I mean, it's really about. I mean, I called you Dan. You know, you're Dr. Sutter, but I, I mean, I called you Dan because it's wouldn't it be great if I get to know Dan for Dan, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that's what's missing in today's day and age, that we're really focused heavily on uh, groups, you know, and, and, and what's happening within group dynamics. And that's okay. However, what we're not doing is really getting individuals to learn about other individuals. So what mm -hmm. I do, what I did with your students, is really got them to say, okay, well, first of all, what are each other's styles, you know? Because people are either extroverts or introverts, right? Or, or and they have different. Or they're either drivers or analytical, you know. They're they're mm -hmm. amiable, you know, or quiet or shy. And it's important to to understand that. Next, it's what's their culture like? Where what's their heritage? Where do they come from? And mm -hmm. so we did exercises as you actually uh, you know contributed it, and we actually had them focus on first learning about each other's styles, but then asking each other's questions like, you know, where, you know, tell me about your heritage. What foods do you like? You know, what hobbies do you have? Mm -hmm. And and we don't take enough time to really get to know each other individually. And when you get to know each other individually, you, if there becomes a conflict uh, in, in a style or there comes a conflict in what you believe with, with, with each other, you're more likely to have a conversation and solve it together. Right. Or, or at least agree to disagree, as opposed to just being in this dynamic uh, headbutting uh, that tends to happen in organizations, and especially today, where there's so much noise going on when it comes to culture uh, and diversity and inclusion. You know, you, you need to take time to build individual relationships. And I think that the whole point of individuals versus groups is so important because, I mean, as a social scientist, you certainly see that in some people's social science where they want to focus on, on groups as opposed to individuals, whereas like somebody like, 
I wanted to approach things from a very individualistic perspective and always wanted to see people out there, individuals. And yeah, they're, they're members of different groups, but you know, if you remember they're individuals and everybody's uh, unique in different ways, uh, you know, th then there's a, at least uh, some ways to, to come together and see the, the things that you have in common, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's really important to have uh, diversity and inclusion, which is a very big term nowadays. Uh, but it's also diversity and inclusion includes difference of thought and opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're struggling right now. And we have to get back to say it's okay to have diversity of thought, right? And, and in fact, it's not only okay, it's, it's, it makes a better dynamic for an organization to run as long as you respect it. So in our first day at Disney when I was there 15 years ago, as uh, now I, I left about a year or so ago. But uh, when I first started 15 years ago, on day one, Disney has a class and they still do called Traditions. And they taught a, a term back then and they don't teach it right now. And I, I, I hope Bob Iger goes back to that, you know, but it was called Rave and it was respect and value everyone. And that stuck with me. And so that's why the new workshop, the one I did for your students is called Rave, respect and value everyone. Because that diversity of thought really drives better ideas and better commerce. And by the way, if you're having diversity in thought and understand how to build relationships with one another, you're also going to carry that over to your customer. Right. And if you carry that over to your customer, that's going to build better employee scores. So the areas like I talked about in the uh, fast food world, well, but just by them talking to one another and getting to know one another, just that simple task, their employee engagement scores went up drastically, mm -hmm. as did their profit margins and their customer scores. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, again, there's a very strong business equation and a business reason for doing this. It's profitable uh, socially, but it's also profitable monetarily. And I think, you know, a part of, as you mentioned, is that once you get to know people as individuals, I mean, maybe it's hopefully that, that you won't, uh, as uh, Mr. Reno talked about in his, his op-ed, like when somebody does something that you take that offends you in some ways, you don't automatically think the worst about them. And, and uh, you know, you, you might ask them, well, why did you do that? You know, try to understand it. Because, like, you know, when I went off to college, I was a big part, you know, of, of, of like the growing up period. You're interacting with other people who are different. And, you know, part of it is realizing some of the things that you might be doing that offend others and then being able to talk to with, with others and, and not just like go at each other's throats and to actually be right. able to, to work, work out any uh, problems that arise as opposed to just getting angry and, and uh, demanding people be fired. Right. Yeah. And part of the skills we teach is how to stretch into somebody's uh, personality type and how to stretch into somebody's culture, right? We actually use a rubber band, I believe, in the class that we were at with your students. And what that does is, you know, people sometimes say, you know, you want to mirror the individual or you want to, uh, you know, build a relationship, but they don't give them the tools of how to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. And the key by asking those questions and learning about one another and just having the, um, the will to just slightly stretch into the, each other's ideas and listen to them using those listening skills right. and then and those conversational skills. It really is amazing to watch. I even watched it with your students. You know, after the class, they were like, 
I didn't never knew that about you. And they walk out laughing and joking with somebody that they really never even talked to before. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so when you build those uh, in common ideas and thoughts, and by the way, this isn't a utopia. This isn't a panacea. You might realize that I really don't like that guy, but mm-hmm. at least I understand who that person is and what makes him tick. And that's a very strong business case also, knowing the individual, even though you might not get along, you don't have to be best friends, right. but if you're in business together, you need to interact. And. You mentioned a little bit, but if, if you could a little bit, like if you could elaborate, like how much of the role does is is the is management play in this? I mean, because uh, you're uh-huh. talking about creating the culture, and uh, you know, I imagine if if you're talking to somebody who's running a business, saying like, oh, I don't care if our employees are happy, I just want happy customers. Uh, how how much of this is uh, has to be coming coming from management? It has to start with management. I mean, if you're not going to uh, embrace this type of thought process, it won't work. And and the other thing is, it can't just be. We we uh, I, I had a phrase I called initiative fatigue. And so leaders go to these courses and go to these seminars, and they have the new flavor of the month, and they bring that initiative in, and, and the employees just get tired of it. When I go around the world talking to employees, we go, oh, that's just another flavor of the month. That's just another initiative. Culture has to be designed and developed for your organization. Mm-hmm. So when I go into organizations, I really talk to them about them. I do... Uh, what I call a cultural assessment and see where their culture is at that point in time. And then together, collaboratively, we build a structure that works for them and what is their purpose, what follows their mission, what's their set of values. And then miraculously, if you have those and you're very clear on them, you could hire to those sets of values, right. you could select those sets of values, you could train to those sets of values, you could actually even do measurement when it comes to performance management to those sets of standards and, uh, and values. Uh, and, and that now makes it very clear from your leadership what they want from your employees and to your employees what the customer wants also. So it's a, you know, the is Harvard chain of excellence, right? You know, mm-hmm. it was, you know, first it starts with the, um, the, employees and the employees then engage the customer and then you get sustainment and you get uh, uh, loyalty and intent to return. What Disney learned is that you really needed to go to the studies and they found that the, the areas where the leaders were uh, following that set of values and standards, mm-hmm. uh, then all of a sudden the scores were much higher in those areas uh, where those leaders were truly in that engagement. Mm-hmm. And so, by understanding the scope of influence and understanding that the leaders were aligned with the company, Disney was very intentional at making sure the people they hire already are uh, predisposed to wanting to create happiness. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing I want to talk about is in uh, business schools now or, or the management world, a number of people are saying we need to move past what we called. Uh, shareholder capitalism, where you think like the stockholders of the company uh, run the company to what they want to call stakeholderism or stakeholder capitalism, where a state where a business needs to care about uh, all of their different stakeholders, which include and often employees are the number one uh, stake uh, stakeholder, if not number one, then customers are, are are number one, and it's always seemed to me like at some level this is 
setting up shareholder capitalism is like a complete and total straw man. And I think your your uh, work here really sort of emphasizes this that, that you know many successful businesses, even if they are trying to generate value for their stockholders, have to care about their customers, have to care about, you know, or at least they should, or they better care about their their employees as well. So it seems to me like in some ways good capitalists are already uh, caring about their stakeholders, especially their employees, right? Right, yeah, it, it really is. You can't disconnect them. That's when we talked about the chain of excellence, it really is a chain. And as you know, the this, the length of the chain is only as strong as what? It's, it's weakest link, link yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, so, so if you don't consider any of those individual parts of the chain, mm -hmm. you know, and so to jump, you know, I, I, I love metrics, but I often talk about that somewhere along the line over the last decade. Uh, metrics used to be the measurement of what the culture is and what the success is. And it's shifted now that the metrics are driving the decision making mm -hmm. as opposed to measuring the decision making. And it really mm -hmm. is uh, can be very toxic uh, for, to, because uh, you're they're measuring things and they're not really giving the employees the tools to understand why they want those measurements. They're just right. pushing those measurements. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that is uh, that's where that stakeholder or that shareholder, it really first needs to be about what is your purpose? What are you trying to achieve for the customer or for mm -hmm. your business? And then how are you going to get there with strong leaders and leaders who have the same values and have strong employees and then the stakeholders and the and the shareholders and it, it, they're all important but mm -hmm. they also have to be linked together with the same uh, foundation of the values uh, and the mission and the vision of the organization and in many ways because I mean, if you think of a business as a form of cooperation you know, the, the manager or the owner might think like they, they have this vision, they want to do this thing, they want to run their business, but they're really asking a lot of other human beings to come in and help make their vision a, a reality. And, and so, you know, one level, markets, since we have to engage with each other voluntarily, at some level is encouraging. You, know, you have to, you know, it does encourage people to treat others with uh, respect because you know, otherwise the, the, your employees could quit. And, you know, I think that's one of the things I, I remember you also touching on that one of the ways in which uh, having unhappy employees hurts a business is with a, a lot of employee turnover. And it, it, so if you could explain a little bit how, how that's uh, important too. Yeah, I mean, if you, you just think about basic human nature, right? People really want to understand why they're at a location, right? They want to be acknowledged and then they want to understand uh, what and how to do. What, so we, we tend to throw out platitudes and throw out posters. You know, there's a poster of the mission statement. There's a poster of the vision statement. There's a set of values. But what we don't take the time to do is really build that common purpose of why we are coming to work every day. Mm -hmm. And so going back to the employee uh, formula, if you will, you really need to be intentional on first building a, a, a framework, if you will, that allows the employee to understand why they come to work each and every day. At Disney, mm -hmm. it was we create happiness. But then you need to give them the uh, what, you know, and at, at Disney, we had standards, safety, courtesy, show and efficiency, and they were in order. And we learned that on day one in the traditions course that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Right. And then 
you need to take those standards and you need to move them over to behaviors. What are your expectations of them? How, how do I actually do my job? And this is where leaders are missing a lot on because they say, okay, go do that. But they're not being intentional on really at the high level organizations telling them specifically how to do that and how are they going to be measured and how are they going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And lastly, it's they, human beings will just want to be acknowledged. Right. They want to be thanked. They want to be uh, they want to understand that they're part of something bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. Not just uh, in business, but just as a as an individual human, you know, you yeah. want to know, hey, what, what you know, you always hear you know, in, in, in comedies, you know, or in dramas, you know, why am I here? You know what? But that's true. That's that's you know, it goes back to self-actualization and and all those different uh, psychology courses we all took in college and school. You know, people just want to understand the, the why's and yeah. just. Get, and if you stop for a moment and tell them the why when you're giving them uh, tasks, uh, it, it, it makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I recall meeting with uh, talking to some people in business. You know, and they you know, a company that had taken over some businesses. And when they took over a business, went in and started talking to their employees and like explaining to them why it was they were doing what they were doing. And, and the employees like, well, nobody's ever told us why what we were doing or how it fit into. <laughs> A larger process like that, and like you know, that that was a, a you know, I guess for, I guess you can see why a company was doing poorly and needed to be taken over by by somebody else who was going to bring in that measure that uh, value. I guess you know the, the point you raise is uh, with praise and, and uh, respecting people is one that sometimes I guess maybe some economists and, and uh, others who want to just focus on the do- dollars and the bottom line might overlook, that we think we've got to uh, devise incentives for our employees, and we think almost exclusively in terms of financial incentives. But I, I think you're right in that, you know, I think we all know as, as human beings that, that praise can also be uh, very effective, and it can be just as valuable, and some, in some circumstances more valuable to give employees praise than opposed to giving them a, a, a bonus. Yes, I mean, that's so, so true. Uh, I'm working with a large fast uh, food organization right now, and they uh, built this incentive program where the leaders give them a card when they achieve the standard, the, the what we were talking about, mm-hmm. and, they, it, and they, or they do a behavior that falls into the way they, way they want them to do. And from that, they get like TVs and uh, gift cards and, and such. And they uh, are keeping track of that. The employee gets the card, and then the employee has to go and place the card you know, in a bucket for a drawing at the end of the month, and then a certain amount of prizes mm-hmm. are available. Well, it was going great for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden, the, they'd hand out all the cards, but all the cards weren't coming back. And so the leaders go to the employees and say, hey, why are you not giving the card back? You know, and this happened years ago at Disney also, which was fascinating. And when they went and talked to them, they say, you know what? You wrote such a nice note about me. I wanted to keep the card. I don't really care about the gift that much. You know, you, the, what, what you said was so special that mm-hmm. you know you really made me feel good and that meant more to me than putting it in a bucket you know mm-hmm. and uh, as they did at disney years ago we went and started doing the cards in duplicate and 
that's exactly what I told the customer, the, the, the fast food chain I was working with, that you need to make those uh, cards in duplicate <laughs> so, <laughs> so they can take a piece of the card and so they can keep that and still be eligible for the prize. So I, I wouldn't say that you want to give up necessarily your monetary incentives, but yes, I would say more than anything else, it's that thank you and that acknowledgement and that recognition that people long for. Uh, when they're doing it right. And by the way, it's that clear, repeatable messaging and that and that kindness that uh, then transfers not just from the employee, but to the customer. Mm-hmm. And then all shifts rise. All the metrics go up. Right. You, you, we do want to measure those things. But yeah. how, you know, what are you doing to make sure that the people get there? Are you measuring the right things, I would say? Yeah. And, and also their measurement within the Reich's kind of, I guess, culture of, of respect. And uh, you're, you're, yeah, you do have to measure things, but you want to make sure that, you know, you, the people see it. it's tied to them doing their jobs. Now, you were also talking about uh, when you visited here, uh, a lot of people think that younger workers, uh, millennials, uh, I, I'm not even sure which generation they, they, they ascribe to always that, a lot of people are, are uh, bemoaning their perhaps lack of uh, work ethic. They don't seem to want to work very hard. Recently, we've heard a lot about quiet quitting. A lot of people uh, just deciding like they're they're going to quit on their job and like not try to to do anything more. You had some observations to suggest that that maybe that uh, that, that maybe some of our, our younger workers are, are getting a bad rap here, and that properly understood that they uh, are willing to work quite hard. So tell us if you can elaborate a little bit on, on this for us. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I truly believe that, that they are getting a bad rap. And, you know, and when we talk about that relationship building, um, the generational differences come in too. The two things I would like to say about that is one, you hear a lot of people go and teach the generations and how to treat generations and how to make sure you get to know the generations better. The first thing I'd like to say is it has to be a two-way street. A relationship is not a subservient. A relationship mm-hmm. is give and take, right? And that's it. back to that stretching right. and understanding and respecting each other's uh, where, where you come from. The same is true when you talk about generations. What the new generations want is uh, just to be understood and to know what to do and know what you want from them. But also they come from uh, a, a, an era where they, they, they want that acknowledgement, mm-hmm. right? They, they want to know that they're doing a good job and they want to know how to do the good job. Right. It is true that, you know, they also want to have balance in life. Mm-hmm. You know, so how, you know, big argument now since the pandemic of, uh, you know, uh, virtual work versus at an office work. And, Boy, that there is a there's a positives and negatives on both sides of that. Mm-hmm. The key is to really learn individuals for individuals. Some people can't do well in working from an at-home environment. Some people, some businesses, it just doesn't make sense to do an at-home environment. But you shouldn't just give it up completely. Maybe it's by job task and understanding the task, or maybe it's hybrid, which tends to be uh, what a lot of the organizations are going to now. Mm-hmm. However, you know, again, going back to those why, you know, what and how, if you have a set of foundations and boundaries to teach the people how to uh, thrive in your culture, then and and then you have a measurement to measure against those uh, why, what, and how. Then 
the uh, you you could have great conversations back at my Disney days. They call it quality conversations. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't just be at the end of the year. It shouldn't be twice a year. They should be ongoing, continual conversations as to are you uh, hitting the what and the how of what we expect from you? And if not, how can I help you right. do that? You know, as opposed to you're failing, you're failing. You know what I mean? It's not a report mm-hmm. card. And that is definitely not what this current generation wants. They want interaction and they want engagement and they want acknowledgement. But they also are uh, less willing to give up their balance also. So mm-hmm. but, so you have to give a little bit there also and build a, build a culture where they can thrive and succeed in that sort of culture. And some of that is also, I, I think, as you referred to earlier, you're making sure you see them as individuals and not just, again, yeah. very easy to group people into these groups, uh, classes like, oh, uh, millennials or Gen X. Right. And they were there are other groups with labels uh, as well. So we're, we're coming near the end of our time. So is there anything you, uh, you want to uh, add or anything we haven't gotten to that you want, want to share with us today? Yeah, Dan, well, as a chief happiness architect, it's important for me to end in a very simple way. Never, ever forget how important a please and a thank you is and a pat on the back. It, it's, it's amazing. And if you just do that, if you just get a, that out of the conversation, your culture will shift amazingly. I mean, they're going to look at you weird sometimes if you don't do it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But just by saying please and thank you. And just building a culture where you say please and thank you and respect one another. Remember, mm-hmm. respect and value everyone. If you do that alone, that's going to make major difference within your organization. Yeah, that, that is such a, a great message. And because, I mean, again, business is ultimately a form of cooperation. And, you know, business leaders have to remember you're asking other human beings to be part of your vision, your, your you know, goal in life of starting a business. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us about this. We really enjoyed it. And thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.